Did you all know that when Christianity first began, and if you said to somebody, what do you all think about that organized religion, Christianity, people would have looked at you and like, what? Furthermore, if you went up to somebody and said, what do you all think about that institution of Christianity, people would have been like, what? Terms like organized religion and, and institution with Christianity, it was a foreign concept. I think first things that, one of the first things I shared up front was that when Christianity first started, it wasn't called a religion. It wasn't called a religion because to the Romans and the Greeks who understood what religion was, what Christianity was so radically different from what they perceived the religion to be, they're like, it needs to be something else. So come up with another name. So it was called the anti-religion. Christianity was a movement of people. Christianity was a movement of God's people who, who saw and believed that Jesus Christ died and rose again, physically and literally, and because of his resurrection, they believed that God was at some point going to come and restore and renew all of creation. And they were so jazzed about this truth that, that God was going to come and do this amazing work that they gave their lives literally for this truth. They gave their lives for this truth. See, church, according to the Bible, is not a building, it's not an address, it's not, uh, it's, it's pe- church is people, a movement of God's people, okay? Church is you, church is me, church is us. It's people with the common mission, common mission for the heart of God. Church doesn't exist for you, we've been saying, but the church is what? Is us and we exist for the world. You don't come to church to listen to a sermon, to worship, so on and so forth, you know, get inspiration, get what you need and go home. Church is you. Church is you Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Church is you every day of your life. Church is us, movement of God's people. Has that, has that connection like happened yet? Yeah, I know for some of us, it's going to take a while because like, man, that's a foreign concept that church is us. It's a movement of God's people. The, the truth though, and the, and the challenge is that the church in North America especially, resembles very little of what Jesus intended. You know, and we, we are to be this agent of the kingdom. We are to be this, this, this uh, embodiment of the kingdom and, and to display to the, the world out there what, what life looks like under the rule and reign of God. That under the rule and reign of God, there's justice, there's reconciliation, there's peace, there's sacrificial love. And yet, (laughs) yet, (laughs) consumerism is what characterizes and describes much of the church in North America, where people aren't about embodying and being agent of the kingdom, but people are about, what do I get out of this? What do I get out of this? And I keep saying throughout this sermon series that if I'm doing my job right, you know, the numbers are going to dwindle a little bit because there are folks who are like, I, I'm not about that. I don't want to get on board with that. So I'm not interested in that. Well, and they would find some other church. But for us, I'm telling you guys right now, if you want to know what we're about and you want to be a part of this, you're going to hear this until it gets irritating. And that is you are the church. You are the church. You are the church. And you exist for the world. You exist for the world. This movement is begun by a group of 120 people within 300 years became a force in the Roman Empire. This movement that began with a bunch of uneducated, uninformed, sort of backwards group of people challenged the political and social 
powers of the day, and they won, and they won. But man, you guys, we got to recover God's original intent for what he intended for the church. We got to go back, like all the way back. You know, people talk about, oh, the good old days of the 50s. 50s? I'm sorry, but there are large segments of the United States population for whom we don't want to go back to the 50s in America. When I say go back, I'm talking go back 2,000 years. Go back. So here's what we've been talking about, you guys. Okay, so, so here's the theme of this, entire, of this entire book. And by the way, I'm really sorry to disappoint you, but we're not going to go to chapter 2 today. I'm sorry. And for those of you that are going like, for crying out loud, man, how long are you going to spend in chapter 1? I promise this is the last Sunday. Okay, this is the last Sunday. Because I need you guys to get this fundamental truth, this foundational truth, before we move on. Is that okay? Is that Okay. And by the way, if you get it and you know it, you believe it, I know this is uncomfortable some of you, but can you just like say something like, I get it, like preach, like amen, uh-huh, whatever, something, you know what I mean? Something so that I know because like blank faces and blank stares for me is like, they don't get it yet. They don't, so I keep talking about it, you know? <laughs> I just gave permission to a bunch of people in our church who are like, finally, thank you, give me permission to be me, be you, be you, that's all right. Here's the thematic verse, Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. Here is the simplest possible, simplest possible, the whole theme. Ready? Can you put up the next slide, please? You have a mission. Say this with me. Ready? You have a mission. One more time. Ready? You have a mission. You are not an accident on earth. You are not... You, you're not where you're at doing what you're doing because of some random chance. You are where you're at because God placed you where you're at right now for this time around those people because you have a mission. As I was sharing this this morning, my gosh, I'm looking out and there are people that are tearing up because their struggle is getting up on a Monday morning and going, I get to do something that I consider totally meaningless and utterly, utterly, utterly senseless as far as they're concerned. They hate their jobs. They hate their co-workers. They hate the environment that they're in. And for them, the whole, I have a, that's what I'm saying. You have mission. You are not there by accident. God has you there because only you can do what God wants you to do for this time at that place with those people. Did you know that? I mean, it was just pain. After that Sunday, people come up to me and go, this is so hard, Peter, because... In my head, I know, like, these co-workers, they need Jesus. Like, that name, they need Jesus. But, man, I hate what I do. I dread going to work. How am I supposed to embrace this mission of God? But I am there, not by accident, but I'm, I got tearing up, you know, saying this because people are like, I know, it's real, isn't it? But look at what the Bible says. Look at what the Bible says, you guys. Acts chapter 17, by the way, we'll get to Acts chapter 17 like four years from now, okay? So hang on, okay, 17. From one man, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And listen to what he says. God determined the time set for you and the exact places where you should live so that men would seek him and reach out for him and find him. He is not far from each of us. And here's another passage, ready? Ephesians 2. For we are God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God, say this with me, prepare in advance for you to do holy cow Eter from eternity of time God know God knew and saw you in that place with those people at that time 
preparing the work for you to do that only you can do. I, somebody say something. Like, is that like, I mean, because you know what? I wouldn't get out of bed in the morning on a Monday if I didn't believe that. What's the use of getting out of bed in the morning if you don't believe that this creator God, amazing God, has a mission for you to do today that nobody else can do but you? Here's a challenge for some of us already. Not just that. But we don't get up in the morning and go, God has something more for me to do today. I can't wait. Our posture is, I have something that I would like to do today and I want God to help me. Oh, man. Oh, man. Oh, man. I mean, how are you all saying that? Getting up in the morning, I got some things that I would like to do today. That's the first thing that I thought, thought enters your mind, and I hope God helps me. Instead of first thing, first conscious thought that comes to your mind is, God, you've got something for me to do today that you have prepared, and I can't wait. Do you understand and know that you created by God, saved by God, and you're going, in that workplace? Yes, in that workplace. With those people? Yes, those people. Like right now? Yes, right now. And how many are living missional lives? Missional lives for Jesus. You exist for the sake of the world. God has saved you, redeemed you for a purpose larger than life. You know, the best way for me to kind of hammer away this, so as I'm going through this email, I've got people going through this email, going through the sermon series, I've got people emailing me going, you got to tell my story, you got to tell my story. And thank God for these encouraging emails because it's connecting. Somebody in our church, you know, as Pastor Peter preaches about the church without walls, this is an email that went out to actually the larger church, right? Asking you to do something. Some of you have got this email. Are there any of you longing for more to life than the status quo Christian life? I know I am, but I can't do it alone. God has opened huge doors for us to witness Jesus' love to a Muslim family, not to mention the other families who will hear and watch. Two days ago, this, by the way, is a mom of two kids who stays home. And you're going, what's her mission in life? I'll tell you what her mission in life is. This woman is incredible. She says, I met, two days ago, I met Lamia, a woman from Morocco. She's due to deliver a baby boy in 10 days and has no family to help her. Lamia's apartment buzzer doesn't work. Her phone doesn't work. And she knows one person in Chicago. Can you imagine what a blessing we could be? So if you're interested, here are some things they need. And she lists a number of things and say, church, be the church. But she doesn't stop there. She got more people. <laughs> Looking for a way to be church without walls? Look no further. Sounds like our friends have long been amazed at our church's faithfulness in bringing meals after each of our three babies were born. It's one of the things we do, we do well. Not to mention uh, helping us move. Now, one friend of mine in particular could really use some of, the, uh, some of that new community love and action. My friend Lisa will be induced this Sunday with their third beautiful child. But this time, her family's not able to help her. Her dad was just diagnosed with pancreatitis and will be hospitalized for a week. So her parents aren't able to help. Meanwhile, her sister who lives below them just moved out as she is getting a divorce. So here where you come in. What a great opportunity to extend the love of Christ to a family who has been totally churned off by the church. Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8. Some of you are going, I can't relate to what a mom is going through with two children because I'm in the business world. I'm in a corporate world. 
Aha, I got one for you too. Okay, check this out, right? My job is to sell a product. My job is to sell a product called interest rate derivatives. Oh my God. <laughs> Anybody know what he's talking about? Raise your hands. Yeah, see, you got, listen, he says, he says, in plain speak, I sit behind a computer monitor with a phone in one hand and a keyboard in the other, speaking with banks all day. I help these banks manage the risk to change interest rates. To which I'm reading this and going, oh my gosh, oh my gosh. But you know what he says? I read a book not too long ago about living out my faith in the workplace. The first topic the book addressed was being a hard worker. If my coworkers don't respect my ability to get the job done, then nothing of what I say will be treated with much respect either. As Christians, we are held to an even higher standard than isn't this incredible? I, it, he not sitting there going, I got to work in a Bible study. And lead. He's sitting there, and for him, missional X18 is, I want to be the best worker here so that they will respect me. Listen to what he says. So, how's uh, your standard than that of this world's greed? So often the goal of the for profit world. We as Christians are called to use the gifts that God has given us to the utmost of His glory. Why is this important? The results of my work are evaluated by my boss and ultimately help the earnings result each quarter, and then they're forgotten. So often the question asks, What have you done for me lately? But Jesus chops down that paradigm right at, knee, right at its knees, and Jesus says, What you do on earth will have eternal ramifications. No bottom line will ever motivate us as much as the call of a Christian. And listen to what he says. So as I've received respect in the workplace, I have then had the opportunity to share my life with those around me. I've been able to offer prayer to a coworker whose child may be born with birth defects. I was able to share my wedding day with fellow coworkers with one saying, this is the best wedding ceremony I have ever been to. And that's even more amazing because his father is a Jewish rabbi. I continue to be encouraged by the small ways that God has worked. At times I get discouraged because I wish there were more tangible ways my faith is shown at work, but also it's realizing that it's a long process and it's good to be reminded to see the big picture. Mission. Mission. Can I, can I tell you a couple more stories? Is it okay? That's what I want to spend today on. Is it okay? All right? So check this out. Yes! So check this out. I'm at Starbucks, right? At like 7 in the morning, you know, we had started morning prayer Weekly morning prayer, I'll tell you about that at the end. So we started morning prayer. So I showed up at the office at 6 o'clock. There was two other guys. We prayed together. And after we prayed together, I went to my favorite Starbucks. By the way, I, so anyway, I'm hanging out at this favorite Starbucks over on Elston Avenue, which I told you guys not to come to, right? Which is so bad. Because you know what happened yesterday? I was hanging out at Starbucks in North Park, right near North Park, all right? And uh, I didn't know, but somebody who comes to our church saw me, you know? And she didn't say hi. She just, and so this morning, she's like, yeah, I saw you at Starbucks in North Park. I'm like, oh, you did? I'm like, why don't you come over and say hi? And she goes, because you told us not to bother you. I'm like, no, that's not the point. I didn't say that. I said, don't bother. I said, no, bother me. Please come and say hi. Was that? Just not at that Starbucks, yes. So anyway, just, you know, so I'm hanging out. Anyway, all this is hanging out. So it's like 7.15 and June. June, are you here? June, okay, June. He's not here, okay. June is, June is a teacher in the city. So here's this guy. Stopping by the Starbucks. And so he kind of, that looks so funny. He's like, I'm not going to bother you. I'm like, come on. So he gets his coffee and as he's walking out, he says this. Just throws out. He's like, I'm going to school. Mission for Jesus. I thought, man, what if every single one of us, 
Here's another teacher that wrote me. Monday, she writes, work today was awesome. Holy cow, how many teachers could say that on a Monday morning, right? As a teacher, I can often have hard days with my kids, but today was great. And I know what helped was that I woke up excited to be with those kids as I continually pray for my students. The mission of God, I am telling you, I am telling you, I am telling you, the extent to which you get up in the morning and you recognize there's a divine call on your life, teacher, janitor, you work flipping burgers, you make six figures, you know, interest derivatives, rates, function, whatever that is, right? And other things that you do, no matter what you do, if your perspective is, I get up and God created me for a purpose and a reason and I am here at this time with these people so that they can see Jesus. That will give you life. One more email. Is it okay if I... Yeah. Okay. There's just so many good stuff, you know, just so many... Okay. This is our way. He says, I'm an, he says, I'm an education coordinator at a program called Youth Options Unlimited, an after-school program for youth ages 12 to 18 in Humboldt Park. I'm the only Christian and only male among our four staff at the center, which serves some 30 youth. How many of you guys are often in environments where you're the only Christian? It's hard, isn't it? Right? But you know what? God has you there. Don't forget it. And then he says, when you're, only the Christian, when you're the only Christian on staff and few youth are Christian, people like to point out errors which can be very trying emotionally. I've done more listening than talking to tell the truth. I've cried with students over them sharing with me how their dads are deadbeats who don't love them. Their mom is in a rehab center for crack addiction with legs amputated from extreme drug abuse. I've seen three young males around 17 years old find out that they are or will be fathers. I break up fights. I restrain kids. I deal with constant arguments. To many of us, we're sitting going, man, I feel bad for this guy. You don't have to feel bad for him because listen to what he says. I have heard and seen a lot of suffering and I would never wish on anybody during their teen years. I've had sorrow upon sorrow in regards to seeing what kids struggle with these days, knowing how that might affect their future apart from God and God's people intervening. But I've learned how to pray more deeply for the souls of the youth in this great city of Chicago. And I now know why the joy of the Lord needs to be my strength. I pray and know that one day by the grace of God, despite my errors and sins, God will use what little things I have done in his name for his glory for the complete restoration of his creation. And then he says, I know it is God who has placed me here for this season of my life to be a model for them. Here's a young man getting up Monday morning to some of the hardest, toughest, most broken environment and saying, I can't wait. You guys, as I was reading that email, I was reminded of a biblical truth that's so counterintuitive that, 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 that it doesn't make sense at first, but then it's so true and so real and so alive that we need to, we need to embrace it. Here it is. Paradigm shift. Go ahead and go and put the next slide up there, please. You have a joyful mission. You not only just have a mission, you have a joyful mission. You know that passage? Uh, actually, we didn't read this passage, did we? Okay. Well, we're just going to continue on. We're going to continue on. I want to show you Acts, uh, Luke chapter 10. Can you go ahead and turn Luke chapter 10, please? Luke chapter 10. 
After this, the Lord appointed 72 others and sent them out two by two ahead of him to every town and place where he was about to go. He told them the harvest is plentiful, but the workers are few. So ask the Lord of the harvest, therefore, to send out. By the way, you know, when you understand this and you read the Gospels, do you know how many times often the Gospels say stuff like, send out, go out, send out, go out, send out. It's amazing. Send out, therefore, to send out workers into his harvest field. Go. I am sending you out like lambs among wolves. Next slide, please. Next slide. It says verse. Read that. Okay. So just kind of give you the uh, of that, right? Like it's like a whiplash, right? Verse 3 and verse 17. I'm going to put them together. Put it up together, please. Okay. Read that. Ready? Go. I am sending you out. <laughs> what? Why? Many of us in here don't have joy because we have no mission. And here's the freaky counterintuitive kingdom ready jesus is telling them i'm not going to send you to cushy mission comfortable mission i'm going to send you to the areas and people with the greatest brokenness greatest need greatest levels of injustice i am sending you to places that nobody wants to go i am sending you to do a mission that nobody wants to do i am sending you to those places why jesus has the audacity to say because i want you to experience joy huh The counterintuitive nature of the kingdom. You ready? Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are those who seek righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake. Blessed are those who pour out their lives in radical sacrificial service. Not so that afterwards you can go, not so that you can go, that's things. Not so you can go, my Christian life. But so that you can what? Experience let me put it this way. C.S. Lewis, one of my favorite authors, gave this beautiful illustration that I think sums up what Jesus was saying here. He said, if you don't ever want your heart broken by people, by circumstances, he says, if you don't ever want your heart broken, he says, put it in a little casket of selfishness and lock it up. Because if you're afraid of getting hurt, don't want to get hurt, don't go to inconvenience. So you put your heart in this little casket of selfishness. He says, your heart will never get hurt. You'll never be broken. You'll, you'll never experience pain. You'll never experience, you know, the, the, the experience of empathizing with somebody in deep, deep need. But here's what happened. He says, in that little casket of selfishness, your heart will get so hard that it will become unbreakable. Your heart will become impenetrable. Your heart will become unable to love and care. See, the reality is when you give your life to sacrificial service, it will inconvenience you. You will get your heart broken. You will have to sacrifice. But we have a choice. We could either go, you know, I should really give her a call, but man, every time I call her up, she goes on and on and on and on and on, and I just don't 
Why are you laughing? Can you, can you relate? On and on. And I just don't need that in my life right now. Uh, how many of us go, you know what? I would really love to pour out my life to the last and least of these, to the broken, most broken. But man, I'm one person. What difference would I possibly make? So I'm not even going to try. Uh, my neighbor, he's in serious trouble marriage-wise. And he's actually reached out to me. But man, if I reach back out to him, like, he might actually like, want to like, get to know me. And like, tell me his problems. Oh, I know my coworker, you know. He's making six figures. He has everything he needs, everything he says he wants. But in his deepest vulnerable moments, he tells me that he is the most unfulfilled, lonely person at work. But I don't really want to get involved there. You have a choice. Actually, I'm sorry. You don't have a choice. Because if the choice is, I'm going to contain my heart in a little casket of selfishness and live for me, so I never get hurt, I never feel, I never experience joy. Or you can say, I will expend my life in mission for God. And yes, it'll mean that I'll be hurt, I'll be disappointed. And yet in the midst of it all, he says you will know joy. There's a freaky verse in Hebrews that says, Jesus Christ, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. Do you know why there's joy in this? Because it's the way of Jesus. It's the way of life. Can I read another email? Can I share another story with you? Boy, you guys love stories, right? Okay. Well, if you knew I, you love stories as much, I, I'd share more stories every week. I didn't know that. Okay. It's another teacher. Teachers, you guys, God bless you for what you do. She says, it's ironic that this sermon series is called Church Without Walls. By the way, we've got some phenomenal writers in our church, you know. Like, I'm thinking about collecting all these, you know, emails and, like, making a memoir of <laughs> new community emails, you know. But please don't send me a novel to show off how well you write tonight, okay? (laughs) He's writing a memoir. I'll be the first one. Okay? Don't don't do that. Michael, did you hear that? Don't do that, please, okay? (laughs) Our pastor, Michael Washington, is a writer, a phenomenal writer at that. It's ironic that this sermon series is called Church Without Walls because I think that, at least for myself, Pastor Peter, the walls actually begin with my own heart. On those days when I feel as if there's no more hope and I just can't get through to my student that reads at a first grade level in eighth grade, where I just can't serve the student who has Tourette's, bipolar, ADHD, and the student received no services, where I feel stretched too taut and I'm the only person, so what's the point? When the minute they leave my care, they're thrown back into their world of defeat and drugs and defenselessness, on those days where I begin to lose purpose and hope because I see no progress, and then she writes bold capital, in my eyes, I put up a wall and I decide there is no point. And so when my kids ask, what's the point of caring for somebody when my cousin gets shot and died for no reason? It's the most relinquishing moment as a teacher when I say, you know, there is no point. And I hate those moments. And I hate myself in those moments. But with tears, she writes. But last week, last week, 
I was reminded that I could no longer use that as an excuse. I could no longer build that wall in me because it's not true. See, one of the things that I've learned and embraced since being at New Community is that ultimately the Christian life is about the kingdom of God and the kingdom of God says that God is going to restore and renew all things. And that means that what I do today, day in and day out, matters. It matters because God will come and God will finish the job with complete and ultimate restoration. When we slowly enact change and we take part in it with God and we fight for it, God will finish it. Holy Spirit will finish it. And this is something that I need to hear weekly, if not daily. It's just so hard to remember. I think in essence, I know in my head, but in my heart, on most difficult days, I forget because it's almost easier just not to have that truth enter our lives. And then she writes, that made me cry. But at the same time, it gives me joy to go on, to go on. And Pastor Peter, I could honestly say that I am overfilled with this sense of lighthearted, yet grounded, real joy, reassuring me of the purpose of what I do. So somebody talked to me. What does this all mean for you? Honestly. Honestly, some of you sitting there going, that's a bunch of baloney. (laughs) Nobody can do that. That's just overly spiritualizing things. And it's, ah, you know, (laughs) honestly, honestly, what is this doing to you? Acts 1 8 missional. No matter how bad it looks, it's going to be okay. I know. This is really the only source of our hope, isn't it? Because if we don't believe this, of what God is up to, and God is up to in and through us, it's easy to lose hope. Anybody else? It humbles. Why? Why do, why do you say that? Why does it, it humbles us? That's right. Did you hear what he said? He says, we can't, but God reminds us that he can. That he can. That he can. Because you know what? I'm really short, so I got to get up here, okay? Listen. If you're somebody sitting there going, I have no mission. I don't even know what my mission is. You need to hear this. If you're somebody sitting there going, I know what my mission is, but I don't know if I could even do it. I mean, do you even know who my coworkers are? Do you even know who my neighbors are? Do you even know what I'm a face against? Some of you. I had one young lady come tell me, I know that I should be more Jesus, more missional, but I hate the people I work with. And I don't want to love them. I don't want to care about them. I thought, man, that's refreshingly honest. And her thing is, can God change my heart? One person. I feel so overwhelmed. 
Like this is in over my head. I mean, being missional, this is the first time I'm ever hearing this. I mean, give me a break. I'm working with the sharpest, most educated, like people who clearly say like, I don't need God in my life. And it's intimidating. Can I be that? Guess what? If you're sitting there going, mission of God, missional in this place, I get my hands up. I, I can't. I can't. You're at the perfect place. <laughs> do you know why? Because that's exactly what God needs you to be and do so that God can demonstrate his power through you. Hello. Let me give you, uh, do you remember Acts, Acts chapter uh, 1? You know, the passage we're going to be on for like today. Okay. Acts chapter 1, I'm sorry. Acts chapter 1 verses 12 to 14. 12 to 14 is what we see. Then they returned to Jerusalem from the, from the hill called the Mount of Olives, the Sabbath day's walk from the city. When they arrived, they went upstairs to the room where they were staying. Those present were Peter, John, James, and Andrew, Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, son of Ephesus, Simon the Zealot, and Judas, son of James. Bunch of names. They all joined together constantly in prayer, along with the women and the Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his disciples. Listen, here's where the disciples are at. Disciples are at a place going, you will be my witness in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the earth. Jesus tells them. And they're sitting there going, we're uneducated. We don't know what we're doing. We're not experienced. Jesus, we're scared to death. This Roman Empire, what the heck do we do? So they get together and pray. And it's in the midst of prayer <laughs> that God shows up. And they go out. And on the first day, 3,000 people come to know Jesus. And the church of Jesus Christ is launched. Now watch this. Watch this. Because if you're at that place of going, I have no mission. I don't know if I can do this. By the way, for those of you that are going, I'm on mission, dude. I get this. So you're being repetitive for like this last four Sundays. And I'm getting tired of hearing this. Well, too bad. Okay? But if you're sitting there going, I don't know if I can do this. I don't know if I Prayer does this. Prayer brings us to that place where it aligns us to God. That all we do is we become the channel and the conduit of his power, of his grace, of his love coming in and through us. Now watch this. Elizabeth Elliot, one of my favorite authors. Prayer, this is what prayer does. Lays hold of God's plan and becomes the link between his will and his accomplishment on earth. Amazing things happen when we are given the privilege of being the channels of the Holy Spirit's power. What prayer does and what prayer does for you and me is this. We look at the circumstances, situation, we're going, it's beyond me. I can't do it. I don't want to do it. I don't know if I... God says, here's what prayer does. Prayer brings you to that place where you just simply become the instrument, the tool, the conduit, so that in that workplace, in that person's life, in that family, in that neighborhood, in that community, in that city, I can demonstrate my power in and through you. Is that good news to anybody? Do you know why that's good news? Because that means it's not up to me. It's not up to my strength. If it was up to my strength and my abilities, why even try? But God says, all you do, become a conduit and my strength and my power in and through you. I'm not smart enough, God. I don't have enough wisdom. God says, it's not about your wisdom. Become a conduit, become a channel. I pour my spirit and demonstrate my power in and through you. Would your workplace look different if the love of God flooded that place? And God says, all I'm looking for are channels of people who I can demonstrate my love through. Would your workplace look different if the power and the demonstration of the Spirit was at work? For crying out loud, would your schools look different 
If the power of God, the mercy of God, the grace of God, the demonstration of the Spirit came flooding into that place. You guys, for whatever reason, God says, I could do it on my own, but I've chosen to gather followers of me who will become my conduit, my channel for my work. Give up your small ambitions for crying out loud. You don't really believe that people in your workplace can become radical followers of Jesus? You don't really believe that our community could experience the reign, rule of God? Church, give up your small ambitions. It's not about just you. It's about God demonstrating his power in and through you. So what is impossible? Okay. I had somebody come up to me last Sunday and go, here's my problem. I don't see God using me. And I said, why do you, why do you think that is? And she said, I don't know. And I said, do you think you're aligned to God, purposes of God? And she goes, well, what does that even mean? Because you talk about being aligned to God, what does that even mean? I said, well, I'll talk about it next Sunday. So here it is. I'm talking about it next Sunday, right? So here it is. For those of you that are going, how do I know I'm aligned to God? Because this is so important. Listen, this is so, so important. Because you're sitting there going, how do I know if I'm aligned to God? Because I want to be used by God. I want my life to be different. I want to experience the fullness of God's power, God's love in my life. I want to be radical for him. I want to go all in. I just want this life to radiate, to radiate Jesus and just be on fire for him. And you're sitting there going, okay, how, how, how do I... Let me give you an illustration of something that we could all relate to and how it is that we know if we're aligned to the purposes of God. How many of you guys have ever been to that place where you're going, God, what is your will for my life? Anybody? Okay. So can you relate to the whole, God, what's will for this area? Can you? Okay. All of us have been in that place. Okay. Now watch this. Here's the difference between someone who's aligned to God and seeking God's will and as a result gaining clarity and direction. And here's someone who is not. Elizabeth Elliot. By the way, any of you guys, other, anybody else read Elizabeth Elliot? So for now, she's, I, I came across her writings first in college. Shadow of the Almighty, Living Under the Shadow of the Mighty. Beautiful, wonderful story. Love story, her, Jim Elliot. Oh, you got to read it. It's really, really good. But she's wise beyond her ear. She's wise beyond her ear. She's pretty old. She's just wise. Okay, bye, watch this. Okay, it says, the more we, God's will, listen, come on. The more we pay a price for guidance, the more we are likely to listen to it. Advice from a friend, which is free, we may take it or leave it. Advice from a consultant, we are more likely to listen, but it's still our choice. We may take it or leave it. Everybody following so far? Following so far? Now watch what she said next. But the guidance of God is different. First of all, we don't come to God asking for advice, but for God's will. And that's not optional. And God's fee is the highest one of all. To ask God for guidance requires abandonment. (laughs) Here's how most of us come seeking God's will. We go, God, I trust you, but if I trust you, if I believe you, depend on you, will you do such and such? Has anybody been there? Here's what alignment and finding God's will is and why many of us are in the dark about finding God's will. Here's what God's will is, being aligned to him. It's coming to God and saying this, God, I trust you, period. Give me or withhold from me whatever you will. Peter, come on now. Come on. You don't mean that. 
You mean like if we want God's will, God's direction for our lives, we go to God and simply say, God, I trust you, period. And as John Newton, the writer of Amazing Grace said, I trust you, period. God, what you will, when you will, how you will, period. God's going, why are you asking me for directions when you're going, God, I trust you if. God's going, why are you asking me for clarity when you're saying, God, I trust you if. God's saying, trust in being a light to God. You want God's clarity? He's not a God of confusion. He wants to reveal his will to you. He wants to show you. But he's waiting for you and I to get to that place where we can say, God, I trust you, period. I trust you, period. Give me, withhold from me whatever you choose. What you will, when you will, how you will. And when you are aligned to God like that, you will get more clarity for your life than you ever knew. But the challenge for most of us is we don't want to get there. We don't want to say my dream, my hope, my career, that relationship, God. God's saying get to that place. I trust you, period. So let me wrap this up here. Here are two questions. Think about that area that you wrestle with God's will and ask yourself these two questions. One, am I willing to do everything God says in Scripture about this area, whether I agree with it or not? Second is even harder. Am I willing to accept anything that happens in this area, whether I understand it or not? (laughs) Do you see... So my question, friends, is being aligned to God where he demonstrates his power through us is in every area of our life. We come to that place where we ask those questions about career, job, family, children, relationships, everything in our lives. And we say, God, what you will, when you will, how you will. And God says, then I could demonstrate my power in and through. Talk to me. Why is that so hard? I'm going to repeat verbatim what Sheila said. (laughs) She said, because we are so damn selfish and self-consumed. Thank you for that honesty. That's the essence of our struggle, folks. Look, I could, look, you know why I'm taking time to do this this morning? Because I can sit up here and go, missional, missional, missional. Unless you personally are at this place of dying to yourself. And by the way, a certain Jesus came along and said, let me describe to y'all what the Christian life is, okay? You carry the cross and follow me. How in the world do we get to a place to go in so following you is optional? Praying that is optional. Christian life, you go all in. Let me just say one more thing. Is this resonating with anybody? Okay, let, let me just say one more thing. Let me just say one more thing. So as you're praying, realize that you're saying, God, change my circumstances. You know what God's saying? God's saying, you need to pray that I will change you 
in the midst of circumstances so that you can be involved in God's activity. I'm serious. Stop praying for your circumstances to change and start praying, God, will you change me in the midst of my circumstances? Realize that even though you'd like to see something happen, that God is more interested in seeing something happen in you. Okay, so, so, whoo, gear shift, major shifting of gears, okay? Because here's the thing, we're about to like launch onto this major deal, Acts chapter 2, okay? Next Sunday, not this Sunday, next Sunday, and we're going to see this movement. Let me read one more email to you guys. My gosh, the fan is like blowing everything everywhere. Can you guys just see? Some of you guys have been to my office. This is how I work, by the way. If you come to my office, I've got stacks and stacks. I'm one of those. Stacks and stacks of paper. But I know where everything is. You know, one of those? Like, you don't know, but I know where everything is. So I could find it. So no problem here. Okay. So here's, here's an email where the direction are going, okay? Because this whole time I've been challenging you, 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 you are a witness. But underneath all this, you guys, we need to come to realize as we are realizing that we can't do this alone, can we? We need community. So that's the big thrust of Acts chapter 2 and on, is that we're going to see not just the movement of individuals, but community. And, and, and I want to talk about prayer and community in like five minutes, I promise, in five minutes. But before I do, I want to read you this email. I'm hungry for true community that is real, vulnerable, and moves one another forward toward the Christ-centered life. Anybody want that? I am searching for others who share this hunger and passion to abandon everything for Christ. I sold some chairs and I want to give the money to one of our homeless men for groceries. I witnessed to my plumber and he's coming to church next Sunday. She is in fuego. She's in fire. You know what I mean? She is on fire. Okay. I have a new Muslim friends from India and Jordan on my block. I have met a few great women in our church that I can be real with. But my vision, a dynamic setting where my home is everyone's home and my food is everyone's food. And then she says, okay, that's still a little hard. But you know, my stuff is available to everyone. A place where Christians, Jews, Muslims, and atheists can come together, discuss, laugh, share life, and see the fellowship and bond that believers present. A place where even Muslims are enticed by community beyond what they experience where we give of our time and even make decisions together as community, showing our unity and true concern for others. And all this I envision happening with a deep concern for the poor. She goes, am I crazy? And she goes, probably. <laughs> she goes, are there any handbooks or any, any handbooks in Christian bookstores for this kind of a thing? She goes, probably not. I cannot do it on my own. I know the Holy Spirit does the work of opening hearts, but the body of Christ does so much too. And I am looking, I am looking, I am looking for this body. Do you guys want to be a part of something like that? Here's the deal. Here's the deal. Here's what we're going for the next four years, five years. Okay, here's, here's where we're going. Everything that we're going to be talking about in the context of book of Acts is going to have this resonance, this, this thrust of what God calls us to individually. But then there's always this communal component of knowing that we cannot do this alone. We need each other. And one of the things that characterized the early church, and we're going to see this over and over again, is this depth of oneness and unity that they enjoyed. I mean, it's foreign to us in America. Like, how is it that those people were able to care for each other like that, love each other like that, and do this? And the answer? They pray together. A lot. A lot. And we see it beginning Acts chapter 1. We saw the verses. 
And here's the paradigm shifting thing that I want to, prayer together enables us to fulfill the mission. Prayer together enables us to fulfill the mission. Prayer together enables to fulfill the mission. And I just want to, we're going to hammer away and hit these in the upcoming weeks. But let me just show you what their prayer was like. Number one, it was corporate prayer. It was corporate prayer. The Bible says that they all, they all joined together. I can't tell you, I can't tell you. When I go back to my motherland, my, my home country, Korea, by the way, that's where I'm from. Came here when I was 10 years old. When I go there, man, one of the things that I just love about my people, anybody Korean here? That's the most pathetic thing I've ever, it was better if you didn't do it at all. What is, who? come on now. Kimchi eating Koreans. Be proud of who you are. One of the things I love about our church, Korean church, is that four or five in the morning, a church with a sanctuary that sees 30,000 people is packed out. Every day. And that's not just Korea. That's Africa. That's South America. All over the world. People get this like, this movement of God. Prayer together. Here's how we respond in the United States. Oh, we got to pray together. Oh, I got to go like do another meeting on us. And yet the Bible says corporate prayer together. Enable them. Secondly, this was united prayer. Luke uses this word, homothymodon, Greek experts out there, Greek scholars, Greek students, Andrew Vanover, homothymodon, which literally means that they came to a consensus as they prayed. You know what it means? That means as they prayed together, as they prayed together, it wasn't just they just kind of lifted up some things that they prayed. In prayer together, they came to unity of thought, of emotion, of mind, so that supernaturally God created this oneness where they saw the same thing, wanted the same thing, headed towards the same thing. Amazing. Amazing. An entire group of people. An entire group of people. Listen, you guys. This church cannot do this. We cannot participate in this movement of God as individuals. Amen? We have to be one group. But here's the thing. We are not going to be one. We are not going to be united because we all go on a retreat and we sing kumbaya to each other and say, let's strategize about how we can be united. That's not going to happen. We're not going to be united because we do a bunch of social events together and say, let's get to know each other and, and share life, which is important, but it's not the ultimate what's going to happen. It's also not going to happen because we talk about unity endlessly. Unity is only going to happen when in prayer, God divides, break down walls and bring people together. Here's one thing about prayer. I can't pray for people I don't like. Can I just be real? I can't pray for people I don't like. So I know it's a gut check. When I'm praying, oh, I don't want to pray for her. Because you know what prayer does? Prayer makes it impossible for you not to love that brother or the sister. Because prayer enables God's love to essentially get beyond what we're unable to do and pray. When a group of people are praying together, When a group of people pray together, it does more than months and weeks of talking about unity and what it means to be together. You know what prayer does also? Prayer also. It's not just that. Prayer also brings us together for a common mission and a common focus. This church, you know, one of the things that I get really, really frustrated by when people come and say, you know, this church would have a greater sense of unity if we were just smaller. And I'm going, have you been to really cold, dying churches that were like 50 people and there was absolutely no unity? Clap if you know what I'm talking about, right? 
So listen, listen, listen. For some of us who grew up in small churches and we long for, you know, the smaller congregation. Give me a break. Unity doesn't happen because the congregation is smaller. Unity happens when you walk through those doors every Sunday and you automatically know everyone in this room is for the same mission. Everyone in this room shares the same passion. Everyone in this room is headed in the same direction. That's how unity happens. Unity doesn't happen because I know Michael's name, I know your name, I know a handful of faces, and so I feel together unity happens when every single individual that makes new community their home, some 500 whatever people, we are in this together. And that doesn't happen without prayer. And the last thing is, it was prevailing prayer. They didn't just pray sporadically when they felt like it, when there was a need. They prayed consistently and intentionally. So you guys, I've always said, I'm not going to be a pastor that's never going to ask you to do something I'm not willing to do. It was major conviction throughout this sermon series because God, the Holy Spirit, I just say this. Do you know why I think the temperature of our church in terms of prayer is not more hot and fire. I know that there are godly men and women who pray. Do you know why? Because your pastor doesn't pray. Major confession time. Major confession time. There, there, there are days that go by without me on my knees praying for you and praying for this church. And I'm sorry for that. I apologize for that. Because to me, that's inexcusable that as your pastor, as your shepherd, that I'm not a better model for you of what it means to be a man or woman of prayer that actually believes this thing. So I can't just preach about it. Here's some things that we're going to try and do to initiate a greater prayer movement in our church. Number one, every Wednesday morning, I share with you guys, every Wednesday morning from 6 to 7 a.m., our church office is going to be open and I'm going to be there on my knees every Wednesday, 6 a.m., and I'm encouraging anybody to join us. There was two other guys with me last Wednesday, this past Wednesday, because I didn't announce it publicly. They knew about it. So the three of us had a great old time praying, 6 to 7, before work, before school. Office will be open, even when it's 10 below zero in Chicago. I'll be there. They prayed consistently. Second thing we're going to do, is we're going to continue to encourage you to attend once a month all of our community groups that meet every week. Once a month, we designate just that one week to pray. That's all we do as community. And do you know that over 100 people in our church, in community groups, get together and pray? That's phenomenal. But wouldn't you love to see that be like 200 people and eventually 300 people? Third, I'm looking for people who will come early on Sundays. By the way, if the Spirit of God is working in your heart this morning, do you know why? Because there was about 150 people that stayed behind after the service was over at 9 o'clock and just prayed for you and for this service. Thirty minutes before nine o'clock at eight thirty, thirty minutes before the eleven o'clock at ten thirty. I'm just asking anybody that wants to show up a little early and just to pray for the services that God the Spirit will be at work. Here's what I want us to do. Let's all stand up together. I want us to not just talk about this, but I want you and I to see what this is like. I need you guys to get out of your pews, and I need you to find groups of five, five people, and gather around and hold hands. Five people, small groups of five people. You don't have to know them. That's okay. Get out of your pews. There's lots of room. Five people, five people around you, five people around you, five people around you, okay? Okay? 
Five people around you. You guys look around. Please include folks that are looking for groups, please. You guys. I'm going to stretch you a little bit. If you're a visitor here this morning, I'm so glad you're here. <laughs> I'm going to stretch you a little bit this morning. Can you hold hands with the person sitting next to you? As a sign and symbol of unity, of oneness. Hold your hands with the sitting next to you. And what I want us to do, and we're not going to pray long, just for a few minutes. What I want us to do is I want us to pray what we are talking about. That God would start a radical movement to change Chicago and the world in and through you and me. And this acknowledgement that we cannot do this without prayer. This knowledge that we cannot do this without prayer. Not just prayer as individuals, but prayer corporately. So what I need and what I would love for you guys to do is those standing that are, that are standing right to your right and to your left. You don't have to know their names. Will you go ahead? And begin praying for them for one thing, and that is that they would be aligned to God. Their lives would be aligned to God. They would be centered on God. There would be a radical abandonment of their desires, of their wishes, and their will for the will, desires, and purposes of God. Pray that that woman or that man that are standing next to you would be radically centered and aligned to the purposes and the will of God. And then secondly, pray for this church. Pray from leadership on down to everybody that the power of the Holy Spirit would be at work and fall. That we will be a church that will be radically abandoning our self-interest, our agendas for kingdom purposes. And the Spirit fall in this place and use us in a mighty and powerful way. In our church, we give you permission to pray loud if you want to. Pray out, pray out loud if you want to. Pray quietly if you want to. Pray in a way that you feel comfortable as you lift up your brothers and sisters in this church.